Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by BSO and ABF Creative and is scheduled for one fall. And on the mic, we have the one and only Robert Latow. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They trying to take the wave from your boy. That's it with your boy. Better pray for your boy. It's Robert Latow. Keep that same energy podcast. Let's get to the opening bell. So you've probably been wondering, uh, where have I been? I think uh, the last uh, show that was recorded was in early January, maybe around uh, my birthday. I actually did a, a live stream, I believe, on my birthday because it was also the anniversary of BSO. Uh wasn't feeling too hot uh, even back then. And come to find out that I had the Rona. But on top of the Rona, I also had a touch of pneumonia. Not a very uh, good combination. Um, Not exactly sure how I got it. As uh, most of you know, uh, my wife was pregnant for pretty much the majority, the the entire uh, pandemic in 2020. Um, I believe we found out she was pregnant in, in March, and that's kind of when it really hit the states. Uh, so for obvious reasons, we didn't do anything pretty much all of 2020, uh, wore our masks, um, didn't go to any big you know, gatherings or anything like that, maybe ate outside um, three or four times in eight months. So very, very careful. And uh, my daughter, Harper, Harper Gray, was born uh, December 4th of 2020. And obviously, once again, because of everything that was going on, very careful, not going out, wearing masks, washing hands, hand sanitizer, all of that stuff. Uh, the only thing that we could think uh, possibly had happened is that the the cases here in California are raging um, out of control. Um, and, you know, at, at certain points you do have to go outside, maybe go to the grocery store, get medicine, Walgreens, CVS, uh, wash the car, you know, just random little stuff that, you know, you kind of took for granted, you know, before the pandemic. So it honestly, the doctor told me it could have been, you know, anything, you know, I could have just randomly walked past somebody that, that had it and didn't have a mask on. Right. I could touch something that somebody had it. They think I was probably asymptomatic for a while until the pneumonia hit. And now that I think about it in, in retrospect, uh, today's the, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, birthday. So today's the 18th. Um, first day that I wasn't feeling well was around um, New Year's uh, Eve, New Year's Day. If you recall, New Year's Day um, was the day that uh, the Ohio State University uh, beat Clemson. 
and I watched the game, and I was very uh, uh, active on social media that day, and everything was going on. Um, but the days after that, I noticed uh, that I just I had a lot of fatigue. Now I had chalked that up, the fatigue, to just having a, a, a newborn uh, baby, because what I was trying to do, uh, my wife was doing an amazing job. What I was trying to do was give her, you know, a couple of, make sure she got a couple of hours of sleep at night. So I was taking like a night shift with the baby. Uh, she go to sleep baby around 10. And, you know, I try to keep the baby, um, you know, from 10 to 4. But, you know, she's a newborn. So, you know, you kind of never can get fully comfortable. Uh, but I noticed during the day that, you know, I would I would get up. I would start my day. And then I would get really, really tired. I'd take these long, long naps. I'm not really a napper, you know, but like I would take, I mean, these really long, like three, four hour naps in the middle of the day just because I didn't have any energy. But once again, I just chalked it up to having a newborn and just kept on trucking. Um, it only hit me, I would say, a couple of weeks back, um, the, the, the way I can remember it is basically it was a wild card uh, weekend. And on that Friday, I just was really, 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 really tired. Same thing, long nap, um, just sleeping all the time. But then the next day, that Saturday, I couldn't move. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed. It was a struggle to just go to the bathroom. And I, I, I want people to understand what I'm saying. When I say it's a struggle, just go to the bathroom. So in my house, the bathroom is, you know, connected to the uh, uh, master bedroom, right? <laughs> so you know, there's a bed. I, just, I want you to just imagine this. There's a bed, you know, in, in the master bedroom. And then as you walk forward, you walk into the master bathroom. Now, that's to get from out of the bed to the to the bathroom is probably 10 steps, 10 to 15 steps. This is all we're talking about. We're talking 10 to 15 steps from just getting out the bed. If that, I don't even know if it's 10 steps. It may be like 7 to 10 steps. To get out to the bed, to get to the bathroom. And I kid you not when I say this, I would take five steps and I'd have to stop where the TV was at and hold on to the dresser and take a break for two, three minutes to catch my breath. Then I would struggle to take the next five steps to get to the, to the bathroom. And then I do my business in the bathroom and I was so exhausted, I would have to just stay in the bathroom for five, ten minutes. Just just sitting there breathing. And then it would be another struggle to get back from the bathroom to get to the bed. So like the entire process from bed, bathroom, back to the bed was taking me like 30 minutes. I literally, it's very difficult to explain because I didn't have any of the, the, the general symptoms. Like, 
I didn't have a fever. I didn't have, I can still taste, I can still smell. Nothing really hurt on my body. But just imagine your, your brain, right, telling your body to do something and your body is just not cooperating with you. It's just not, like, you know, most of the stuff, you know, you, it's a lot of stuff in life is involuntary. Like, you think, okay, I got to go to the bathroom, I walk, I get there, I run. You know, all that stuff is just natural. Now, just imagine you don't have no control over it. Like, you, you want to go. Like, I want to walk. Nothing hurts. So I should be able to just, you know, walk to point A to point B. But you can't do it. Your body's just like, I can't do it. And you don't know why. That That's a scary situation. To where, taking two, three steps, you don't have any breath. You can't breathe. And that was the situation that, that I was having. And... When I tell you that your brain and your body's not working, I mean, I couldn't grab a remote. Like, I didn't have the energy to look for the remote, grab the remote, turn the TV on, change the channel, keep my head up, watch the TV. I couldn't formulate any thoughts. So there was no tweeting. There was no writing any stories. I've done BSO for 16 years. I've been sick before, obviously. I've had colds, I've had flus, I've had all type of stuff. There's never that I can recall a time I went through an entire day and I just I physically couldn't write a story. But I didn't write a story for like three days. So the next day, I was hoping it would get a little better. But Sunday, that was worse than Saturday. <laughs> Couldn't move, couldn't do anything, just couldn't keep my head up, couldn't focus. Like, I tried to watch the games, I, I just couldn't. I just, I just, I was tired, I was, I would fall asleep, I was uncomfortable, mouth was all yucky, mouth was all dry, dehydrated, just terrible. Like, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. So by Monday, when once again couldn't move, I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta go do something about this. I gotta go get this checked out. And I tell you this, I had to put on clothes, and I tried to get up at around seven o'clock. And just think about like how quickly, like, like let's take out the, let's say you didn't have to take a shower or nothing like that. Say you took a shower the the day before, right? Just think about, like, in that, when I say put on clothes, I'm talking about just sweats, sweatshirt, t-shirt, socks and shoes, right? I'm not talking about you going to the grand ball or anything, right? How long did that normally take you? Five minutes? Maybe. <laughs> you put your sweatshirt on, put your sweatpants on, some socks and some shoes, some flip-flops, some slides, and you're out, right? Five, ten minutes, Maybe. Took me an hour and a half just to put on clothes to try to go to the urgent care. So I probably shouldn't have been driving, to be honest with you. Not the way that I was feeling. In retrospect, that wasn't a good idea. 
I drive to the urgent care. You know how it is. They're trying to figure out your insurance. I'm not somebody that goes to the doctor a lot, so this stuff's not on file. They try to figure out my insurance and all of this stuff. The, the urgent care doctor comes in. He's asking me if I'm depressed. And like I'm like, no, man, I, I can't walk from the chair to the little, you know, the doctor station. You know what? You sit on the doctor station. Like, I can't, like, it, it, he's like, you sweating. Like, he asked me, I was sitting in a chair, and he asked me to get up on the doctor, the station. And I walked, and he said, hey, man, you sweating. I'm like, yes, it takes that much effort to walk from a, ch- you know, a chair to take three steps to this doctor changing area. Yes. Yes, I'm sweating. So, and he's, he goes through all the questions and everything. And they're like, oh, so we're going to take a, you know, an EKG, which I didn't know they had at urgent care. But obviously, you hear EKG, you start, you know, freaking out. So they take the EKG and they come back and they say, hey, something's not right on the EKG. You got some sort of fibrillation or some sort of irregularity in your heart. That's obviously a scary thing to hear. So now, on top of not feeling in full control of my body, barely can breathe, sweating all over the place, I got the, the urgent care doctor telling me there's something wrong with my heart, and he thinks that I should get an ambulance and go to uh, emergency. <laughs> He's like, you don't want to drive because if you have a heart attack, obviously while you're driving, you could crash and die. <laughs> I don't know if that's... I guess I appreciate the bluntness of it all. Uh, I don't know if that's how they're supposed to explain it to you, but that's how he explained it to me. Now, I must tell you guys this. 45 years old. Never been in an ambulance in my life. I've never been hospitalized overnight. Don't smoke. Um, you know, casual drinker. Like I went my, my wife's whole pregnancy without drinking, so it's not like I, I don't I don't need to drink. Uh, pretty healthy, no broken bones, no nothing ever really wrong with me, besides standard colds. So obviously I'm freaking out. So the ambulance comes, the the EMTs come, they do another EKG in the ambulance, and the, the EMT guys like, look, you sit, you my EKGs, you seem fine. Your blood pressure is high, but that's probably because they they stressed you out. My EKG, you look okay. So I, now I don't know what to believe. I got one doctor saying I got an irregularity. Irregular, another EMT saying I'm fine. I'm sweating. I, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in like three days. I've lost 10 pounds, which is probably a good thing to be honest with you. And I'm in the ambulance, and they're taking me to, to the hospital. I don't have no charge on my phone because I was so weak the night before I couldn't even put the damn phone on the charge. So I I don't you know trying to calm my wife down. She's trying to calm me down. I'm at like ten percent. I'm going to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. And then I get to the hospital. And they roll me out, and you know while they're doing all the thing, I'm looking around. And let me tell you something. It wasn't good. And when I say it wasn't good, I'm not talking about for me. 
I'm talking about just looking around at the hospital, the amount of people that were there, the amount of people that were sick, the amount of people they had. They didn't have. They don't. And, and here's the thing. I'll be honest with you. I stay in an upper middle class area, so you know the hospital a little bit better than you know in the hood or in the city. And they still didn't have enough room uh, for all of the patients. So they had just people out there on gurneys and tents outside. Granted, uh, in this particular day, it wasn't that cold, but still, they're outside, they're in the hallways um, and everything. And the EMT asked me, he's like, well, can you walk? He's like, because if you can't walk, you know, you're going to be left out here in this tent on this gurney in the hallways. If you can walk, you know, you can at least get in the waiting room, sit down and everything. And I'll be honest with you. I wasn't sure if I could walk, but I didn't want to be sitting in the gurney out in the tent. So I willed myself to find some energy uh, to walk from, you know, outside in the tent to the emergency uh, waiting room for them to do the test which took all pretty much everything I had out of them so after the you know the hospital I mean I'm in I'm still in the hospital they take all the tests do a chest x-ray do another EKG do blood work and all of this stuff to see exactly what's going on uh, with me and that's when they find out that there's nothing wrong with my heart. I wasn't having a heart attack, thank God. Um, my lungs and everything were good. All of my blood work checked out. So it pretty much, you know, all the little checklists <laughs> they had. But then they started out, you know, I had I had some pneumonia up in my chest area. Along with uh, the coronavirus, the COVID. And it was, the, according to the doctor... The doctor believes, this is what the doctor believes happened. The doctor believes that I had the coronavirus. And that's what was causing me to take all those naps and feeling all fatigued on top of staying up with the newborn and everything. But I was fighting it, you know, off regular. So I didn't have any symptoms. I was asymptomatic. But then something happened. I caught the pneumonia. And the combination of pneumonia and the COVID was just a little bit too much. And it just shut me all down. Now, thankfully, as you can see today, um, I'm doing better. I, unfortunately, though, I have to quarantine. And my wife, my kid, my dog all had to leave. And they're staying at my mother-in-law's house. Which is messed up because I've been basically here alone for like uh, about a week. Uh, so yeah, so it's last Monday. So yeah, so about a week. Um, you know, they stop by and everything. I have to wear the mask and stay six feet away. So I take another test <clears throat> sometime this week uh, to see if, if the Rona's gone and everything. So I tell this story, which normally I wouldn't tell. <laughs> Because, you know, I like to think of myself as, you know, when you guys are coming to the Twitter account, you're coming to the Facebook, you're coming to keep that same energy, you're coming to the site, you don't really care about my problems. Everybody has problems. 
right? Everybody has problems. Everybody has situations. Everybody got stuff that's going on. So I, I'm, I'm not one to overshare a problem. If I'm having family issues or I'm having money issues or normally health issues or whatever it may be, which thankfully I don't have a lot of. But everybody goes through stuff. But I try not to burden that with you because you got your own stuff. So you want to hear about, you know, what's going on in the world of sports, sports entertainment. You don't really want to hear about everything that, that I got going on in my life. It's, I'm not really like that. I, you know, there's parts, you know, like, like you got to keep some stuff personal. The only reason I'm even talking about this and it's not for sympathy or anything because I want to be all right, thankfully. It was a little touch and go for a while. <laughs> but the only reason that I'm talking about this is just so you know, and you guys should know by now, you see, you know, what's happened with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, you probably know people, you know, uh, the, the boxer trainer, Robert Garcia, lost his mom from this. Like, you you know what's going on. My best friend, uh, Sam the African, you know, was on a ventilator for <clears throat> a week. And it was touch and go and didn't know if he was going to make it. So, you know, I tell these stories and, you know, now it gets me to say that, you know, we got to do better. Um, we got to do better. The scariest part for me, and like I said, I'm, I'm normally not one to get all emotional and tell all emotional type of stories. But, you know, it's very scary to be told you know, because of this virus and everything that's going on, if there's something going on with your heart and you have a wife and a baby that's just a month old and you know, you know, from covering this pandemic from the beginning, you know, you know, people younger than me, older than me, around the same age as me, you know, it happens quick and that's it. And, you know, you're gone. And in California, it's 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 totally out of control right now. So, please think, you know, not just about yourself. Think about, hey, these people have family, they have friends, you know, you know stuff like you know, because that's what you think about. You're like, what 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 am I? What am my mom, my dad, my wife, my kids? You think about that. When you have this disease when, or this virus, when you see everything that's happening to everybody else, it's scary. I didn't want to go to sleep. I, that's scary stuff. You hear? I'm here by myself. You know, you don't want to go to sleep. Like I said, I didn't want to get. Don't put me on. I don't want to be on the gurney. I mean, I gotta get out of here. So just just think about that. Is is what I'm I'm saying. Just, just think about other people. There's other people's families that are involved. There's other people's kids involved and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. So when you make those decisions to go out without a mask and just kind of flaunt, you know, that you don't really care about what's happening, just remember, you know, I could have been a statistic. My daughter's a month old. She I mean, she knows me. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's some scary stuff right there. What about my oldest daughter? 17. Going on 18. She's just starting off life. She needs a dad. 
You, you need it. You, you're that age, girl. You need your dad. So just you know, just scary stuff. So that's all I'm asking. I don't like to preach. I don't like to tell people what to do. I'm just saying, just think. Just, just think about, like you know, I think about Carl Anthony Towns, and he ain't he not right. Like the his the way he talks is is not right. It's and, and you know why. So just you know, just try to, if you can, if you can, just see. I mean, just wear a mask. I'm not saying that you gotta lock yourself in the house, but wear your mask, wash your hands. You know, just do the bare minimum, if you can. You know, the little Bow Wow concerts will be there. In 2022, 2023, hopefully. So, you know, it's okay to just stay at home. Little Bow Wow, be there. You can watch it on YouTube if you like. So, if you want to know, for those who want to know why it's been a while since the show, that kind of lets you know. Now, I do want to get into these uh, NFL playoff games. Uh, Mainly... Lamar Jackson for a second. Um, you know, it's tough on Lamar. Things, things, when people do stuff differently and not the way that the mainstream white media wants it to be done, it's it's going to be difficult on him. Lamar Jackson's a good kid, uh, well-liked, not just well-liked by his own teammates, well-liked by uh, other players, well-liked in general take off social media by other teams fans it's tough to see the the racism when he has a bad game it's a difficult situation in the sense that everybody can be critiqued everyone can get better everyone has weaknesses and flaws it's just you know that it's it's just twinged with racism and because he's black, and he's bl- and he's black, black. Like you know, and when I say that, I mean that he's just a just a brother. He's not trying to assimilate to white culture. He's just being himself. You know, they they have to get better um, in the passing game. I mean, that's that's a no brainer. It's one of those situations where you have someone that's talented at a lot of different things, so you're trying to maximize his talent. I mean, but let's not forget the man did lead the NFL in touchdowns, passes, just a year before. He's, not, he's just about 24, 25 years old. You know, you can, you know, I can tell that I'm getting older, but, you know, I try to tell people, like, you know, I remember, you know, John Elway and Dan Marino and 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 Warren Moon, Jim Kelly. You know, these guys, you know, they had ups and downs, just like everybody else. You know, sometimes they broke through. Like John Elway late in his career, sometimes he never did. Like Dan Marino, you know, or Warren Moon, it never broke through. You know, you take someone like Drew Brees, he's been in the league for like five hundred years, he has won a Super Bowl. Now, granted, that's all you really need sometimes. You know, but when you throw for you know seventy thousand yards and six hundred touchdowns or whatever it is, and you've been perpetually good for a good 10, 15 years, people expect. More, but it's it's very difficult to win Super Bowls. 
Yo, Aaron Rodgers only has one. You know? You look someone like Eli Manning and, and Ben Roethlisberger, like, you know, it's difficult. You may get in there, but you may win one or two. It's hard. You guys, you know, been in the league. You know, Phillip Rivers has been in the league 17, 18 years and not sniffed a Super Bowl. And they had good teams. He's good quarterbacks. So it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, to win. It's not, it's not easy at all. You know, you're Donovan McNabbs and Dante Cole. Like, it's hard. You know, you're going to maybe your Matt Ryans and your Matthew Staffords and all, they're not going to win. Because it's difficult. Now, you know, Tom Brady's an anomaly. Like, that probably isn't going to happen for a long time. And you don't know what it is about Tom Brady. But hell, even Tom Brady who's been to nine Super Bowls. Every single one of those Super Bowls has come down to uh, uh, the last possession of the game. Tom Brady could be 9-0. He could be 0-9. That, just, that's just how it is. It's just tough. You know, it's very, very tough. And these guys are young. That is good for Russell Wilson and and Patrick Mahomes to to win one early. It's always beneficial to win it early because it gets harder. Ask Russell Wilson. He won his one. He blew out. He blew him out. He blew out the uh, the, the the Denver not the Denver yeah the Denver Broncos. You see what happens. Got back, but ain't sniffed it since. It's difficult. It's hard. Lamar Jackson is it's hard. It's hard. And the Ravens have to understand, conceptually speaking at least, is that they're going you know, it's it's easier to to maybe stop a run game than it is a prolific passing game in the modern day NFL. But that's okay. That's okay, you know. He's you know he's through twenty he's still through twenty six touchdowns. This is not like you know he's not running the option. You know he, is there going to be a time? Absolutely, it's going to be a time where that's going to he's going to start flipping around. Where you know he's 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 right now he's passing for three thousand yards. He's running for a thousand yards. You know it's you know Russell Wilson didn't start off throwing for forty five hundred yards. You go look. It's a progression. It's a progression. So maybe he gets up to 36, 3,700 passing yards and the rushes come down to five, six, seven hundred yards. Maybe. It's just, it's, it's a progression. You know, white quarterbacks are allowed to progress. You know, Josh Allen went from 52% completion to 68. That's progression. That's getting better. That's working on your craft. That's getting more talent around you. That's making better schemes around you. That's getting better offensive line around you. Like, it's, it's all a progression. So, you know, they progress. You know, you, you sometimes you have your, your MVP year, and then nine times out of ten, <coughs> the reason you don't have a lot of back-to-back MVPs, there's a little bit of a fall-off because teams are aware of how talented you are now. And that's okay. It's just progression. Go get him, Allen Robinson. Maybe draft Chris Olave or another wide receiver. Open up the scheme. 
you know, you're going to have to open up. You got a good tight end. You got Hollywood Brown. You got some pieces. But open up that scheme. Give them some full wide. You know, part of it is you got to have, you know what I'm saying? You got to have the the talent out there. You know, you, you, you know you're running pass routes with five tight ends and a wide receiver. You know, it's going to be difficult. They know who you're going to throw it to. I just hope that Lamar Jackson doesn't get jaded by all of the, the, the noise. You just got to kind of ignore that social media noise. And it, I thought it was cool that the Bills fans um, hit up his, his charity. That was nice of them. That's good stuff. That We need more stuff like that. Now we'll see what happens with, with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Seems like an Aaron Rodgers type of year. Man, don't, don't sleep on Buffalo. So there's, there's young teams, you know, even though the Chiefs are a young team, sometimes, you know, they got to gotta rise up if you want to do it. Sometimes it's what you got to do. Very impressed with young Josh Allen. And it really tells you the value of having a, a wide receiver that you can trust, a couple of them. So we'll see what happens uh, this weekend. What in the blue hell? So you probably want to know what's really uh, going on with Deshaun Watson. I'm going to tell you a secret. It's a secret. It's insider information. He's not as mad as he's making it out to be. It's true. It's true. You know, I wouldn't lie to you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not, you know, annoyed at some of the things that have gone on. Uh, within the Texans organization, rightfully so. But he's not as mad as he's making it out to be. What he's doing is smart, though, because he has public, uh, the public behind him, right? So you got to be angry and, and you know, mad, and I can't believe they're doing this, and rouse up the fans, fans like Deshaun's right, and, and all of this stuff. He's, he's not, he's not. He, he wasn't in Cabo or wherever the hell he went on vacation, you know, just fuming. He wasn't with his little IG model girlfriend just fuming while in Cabo in the sun on the beach. He's, I mean, he's upset, right? Like I said, rightfully so. But it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, this is big business. And, you know, he's trying to potentially get himself to a better football situation. What did I tell you? It's hard to win Super Bowls. It's hard to win games. Hard to go to the playoffs. So he's trying to get himself to a situation that's, you know, better for him. I'm not saying that he's taking the James Harden route, but he's taking a little bit of the James Harden route. Now, it's harder to do in football, but only quarterbacks can really do it. We see what happens when wide receivers or running backs or DBs try to do it. It's, it's, it's harder. Not impossible. I mean, Jalen Ramsey got to get himself out of there. But it's harder. Just because of the way the CBA is set up, the way their contracts are not guaranteed and all that good stuff. But he's not, he's, you know, I saw it with Dan Olasky. I saw him say, oh, it's worse, didn't he? You can even talk about it on TV. Nah, it's not really. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's just kind of a combination of things. And it's kind of beneficial right now for Watson to kind of have this persona of being super, super angry. 
And that way, it, it helps potentially facilitate uh, a trade. And we're going to talk more about, you know, the black coaches and stuff like that. But to me, it seems like the Texans have an easy out here. You know, interview Eric B. Enemy. Eric is going to say, is Deshaun going to stay? You're going to talk to Deshaun. And if Deshaun says, hey, I stay if you the coach, and that's pretty much the end of it. Or the Texans can, you know, try to, the other thing where they try to get their little Herschel Walker hall form. You know, but with, you know, with stuff like that, it, you know, it's, you know, it's not the draft picks. It's not, it's all about, A, what you do with the draft picks and what happens with the player that's trading. If you, if you hit on all the draft picks and, you know, you end up in the Super Bowl, then you won. If the other player ends up, you know, having a Hall of Fame career and taking the other team that you trade them to to, to new heights, they won. Simple as that. I always say, I use, I always use the Julio Jones uh, trade as an example. You know, I wouldn't have gave up three first-round picks for a wide receiver, but the Browns blew all the picks. And Julio Jones obviously has turned into a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Same thing like, you know, with like, say, RG3 and the Redskins. Oh, excuse me, the football team. You know, RG3 looked the part at the beginning, but, you know, it didn't work out. So it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's not about the trade at the time of the trade and what happens three, four, five years, you know, down the road. If the Cowboys didn't win those Super Bowls, then the Herschel Walker trade wouldn't look as good. But no, he's not as upset as he's making it out to be. Uh, as far as James Harden, I, I mean, I could, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, it was he plotted it from the beginning. This is what he wanted, and now you know, super team again. Kevin Durant's been on some really loaded squads, <laughs> and he's normally the best player on the squad. Just they're loaded. But that's what James Harden wanted to get out. And in NBA, that's how you got to do it. You got to basically be a malcontent and to get him out of there. Like the Rockets had no real urgency to trade him. But then he just he stopped playing. That's the thing. You see, he, the first couple of games, he played too well. I think somebody got in his ear and was like, hey, man, you know, if you, you know, you're dropping 40, you know, they're not going to trade you. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen if you're dropping 40. So he started dropping 10 and 15 and he put his fat suit on and called his teammate Scrubs and next thing you know he was out of there. Now, of course, everybody loves him. Now, that's, you know, that's how it works. I don't agree with his, you know, oh, I'm a black man, I can't be criticized type of stuff when you, know, you, made a, you made it tough on a black coach. Like, sometimes people don't take any type of criticism well when they make so much money and they're so popular. You know, you got to take, you got to be able to take some criticism. You can't just expect everybody to kiss your ass all the time. But it's plotted. He plotted it out and, you know, got to where he wanted to go. Now the Nets, you know, assuming Kyrie comes back and we'll talk about Kyrie in a little bit. And, you know, super team. That's what they like. They like super teams. That's how it goes. I mean, that's that's the way the NBA goes. So that's not surprising. Um, 
the Von Miller situation is interesting. Uh, Von Miller's uh, ex uh, fi- uh, fiance, the, the the money team stripper, Megan Denise, she exposed him. You know, he, he praying for a miscarriage because now she's pregnant, but he don't want her no more. That's how it goes a lot of times. And she applied, she implied, I should say, that you know he was abusing her. Then the cops got involved when they saw that. And then she said, Ah, you know, he never touched me. I don't know if that's because, you know, there's some, I think some cash maybe was exchanged. I don't know that for sure. But I think maybe some, you know, some arrangements were made that, you know, hey, maybe if you, you know, I can't help you or the kid if I'm not in the NFL. If I'm suspended, if I can't get on another team, you know, I got $17, $18 million on this last year, this contract, but they, once again, contract's not guaranteed. So all of a sudden, her tune changed quite a bit. It's not not unusual in these type of situations. Let me just see what the cops say. You know, you can never necessarily trust the cops anyway. But we'll see what they have to say. As far as uh, Kyrie, um, this is um, it's nuance. It's a very nuance. I mean, you saw the story that we did about him buying uh, George Floyd's family uh, a house. These are the things that, that Kyrie does kind of off the radar. If you really know uh, about Kyrie, you know he does a lot of, of these type of things. He's a good dude that does a lot of good good things. And sometimes that doesn't mesh with, you know, playing basketball. And that's okay. I think you have to be able to separate the two. You know, on the one instance, you know, Kyrie has a contract. And in that contract, he's supposed to play basketball, you know, if he's healthy, for the Brooklyn Nets. And if you feel like, you know, he's not honoring that contract, it's okay to be critical uh, of him. But that doesn't make him a villain. That doesn't make him a bad guy. Just make him someone that's having a work uh, dispute. You know, you, you kind of heard the thing with Jack McMullen, them talking about property and stuff like that. You know, you can't use that term, you know, property. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't call, you know, athletes, you shouldn't call anybody, especially anyone of color, uh, property. Like, I get the concept of, you know, you're getting paid for a job, therefore, you know, there, there are some, there are some rules to it because I mean there's just rules you know to everything you know there's rules to me doing this podcast there's rules to that I gotta you know deal with the hosting site or the the advertisers or whatever so there's always rules you know to to a situation you know you just don't want to use the word property and I think that's the, the thing with Kyrie like he's, he's not a villain he's not a bad guy seems to be a pretty good guy seems to be someone that cares you know, about people, it's just he has some issues with his workplace uh, rules, and which can cause uh, friction between him and his employer. And that's the way you got to explain it. You know, you can't go too far left, too far right, you know, with it. You know, if you're paying someone, you know, $30 million or $40 million, you kind of want them to show up for work. You know, you want them to follow the rules. You know, you want... Um, especially the COVID rules, you know, follow the COVID rules. Like you want to take some mental health days because 
and storming the Capitol, that, that's fine. You just need mental health days, periods. I think that's fine. I think all employers should have something in there that, you know, if you're having some issues mentally, you know, even stress or whatever it may be, that, you know, you, you have some time built into that. You know, but, you know, you know, the parties, like I said, like I talked about earlier in the thing, and I know uh, Kyrie's helped, you know, with the charities and the stuff like that, but you got to sometimes practice, you know, what you preach. Once again, think about Carl Anthony Towns. Think about just all the people, you know, because you just you just don't know. You, you know, you have those events, and it's 100 people there. It only takes one to spread it to someone, and they may not even know. Like I said, I, it wasn't my family that spread this to me because we haven't had, like, people over. We haven't had any gatherings or anything like this. This was a stranger that they gave me COVID from, from from all everything that I can gather. And who knows where that stranger's been and what they've been doing and where they've come from. I don't know if they went to Miami for New Year's Eve, came back and gave me the Rona. I, like, I don't know. So that, that's that's... That's the thing that's true, like I said. But you got to, you know, that's why you need black media. Because you got to learn to separate between what a person is and then what they're doing. You know, like I said, Kyrie's not a villain. He's a good guy. You know, but he, he does things his own way, which is okay to criticize. But, you know, let's be fair about it. The Injustice League. A couple of things. Couldn't enjoy my birthday because I was sick. That's the first thing. Second thing is now my birthday is uh, associated with a bunch of dumb rednecks, <laughs> college dropout MAGA idiots who stormed the Capitol. So I'm pretty upset uh, about that. Now, January 6th used to just be my day. This was a regular day, you know, in America. Just January 6th. really has no, no real importance or had any real importance besides, you know, to me. It's my birthday. But now, probably to the end of time, when they talk about January 6th, they're going to talk about January 6th, 2021, with these idiots storming the Capitol. What I find interesting, though, is once they get arrested, see how nicely the cops arrest them? We're not even talking about how nicely they treated them at the Capitol, even though they killed one of them and, you know, assaulted a bunch of people and broke so many laws. You see how nicely they treat them when they arrest them? They're smiling. They're taking their time. Nobody's getting beat over the head. There's not the 700 people busting in the houses with SWAT gear. They're, putting, they're giving them their jackets to make sure they have clothes on. The judges are being very, very friendly with the bail and the pro, you know, probation and house arrest. And You, know, you don't have to go to jail. Who cares? You storm you know, the nation's capital. You know threaten to, to actually murder vice presidents and congressmen and women. Guess thousand dollars bail. When I got hit for bad tags and no insurance, they tried to keep me in jail on sixteen hundred dollar bail. Bad tags and no insurance. No crime being committed. besides the crime of, you know, I don't have any money but I need to go out and eat. 1600 These guys are getting out on $1,000 bail for storming the cap. And the cops are just smiling at them. That's why I try to tell people, like, it's, it's deeper 
is bigger than Trump. Yeah, Trump's is a he's the voice. You know, he's the he's the Mandarin. You know, he's the guy that you you see up top. But you know, he's the top of the hand or whatever. He's he's he's, he's the Red Skull of Hydra. But the infiltration and the judges, the cops, the DAs, the prosecutors, your local government. All of that is seeped down. It's deep. It's deep. Think about your, you know, they got like the, they got they got crazy racist people that are congressmen and congresswomen. Just they're in office. They are the ones that determine the laws in this country. That's the problem. The people. Or just a manifestation of this. It's a cult. But it's, it's, it's all the way down. It goes all the way down. All the way down. So, I'm not surprised by it. You know, they don't want to arrest these guys. And here's the thing. In six months, in a year, you'll find out all of these guys, and none of them went to jail for any long period of time. They all got some cut, some sort of deal. They're all back out on the street. Because, you know, in some, in some states, you, know, you can sell weed there, put you up for 20 years. But, you know, you can go into a congressperson's office, steal a computer or whatever. Nothing happens. The FBI, the CIA, the, they got to vet. the own. You got to vet your own National Guard. You got to vet your own National Guard for the inauguration because you're nervous. That it could be an inside job. You know, we, like I said, I, I think I said this in another show. I can't remember because I was deliriously sick. But, you know, I read these novels. You know, Jack Reacher and, and Mitch Rapp. And uh, all, all of these guys, you know, that are like counter-terrorists and all of this stuff. And in those novels, a lot of times when they're overseas or whatever it may be, you know, they talk about the terrorists and whatever. And the terrorists always talk about, you know, why they hate America. Then you think about it in real life, you know, they're not that far off. <laughs> you know, they're not too far off. Honestly, their reasoning is not too far off. It's like, yeah, you know, bad people do bad things to, to, to other countries. People have done bad stuff to the United States of America. That's that's a fact. But A, look at the bad stuff we do just to ourselves, to our own people. So I know we're not on the up and up with overseas. There's some, there are some positive things about this country, but it is not the beacon of democracy that it, it claims to be. It is, tr- it is truly not. Black coaches don't get opportunities in the NFL like they should because the owners are MACA. Like I don't, I don't know why people are kind of scared to say that. It's 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 a history of our, in our country of how employment works. People hire people that looks like them that they can feel like they can go have a beer with that reminds them of themselves that are in line with you know their thinking. 
And if you got an old white man that's an owner of a team, old white GM that's a GM of a team, it's, it's more likely he's going to hire a younger version of itself. If you ever wonder why all of the Sean McVay uh, coordinators get hired is because the old owners, they, they see the young versions of themselves, or they w- wish that was the young versions of themselves, and these young coordinators. And here's the thing, doesn't mean that they're bad coaches. I mean, obviously, someone like Matt LaFleur has done well in, in Green Bay. Helps that he has Aaron Rodgers. And, and I think that's the part that people need to understand. I'm, it's not knocking the coaches that get hired. Because you just don't know if they're going to be any good or any bad until they actually get into it. The problem is you just know it's not a fair process. And it's it's difficult to tell someone that owns a team that's worth a billion dollars, like, you have to do this. They don't want to hire Eric Bieniemy. They're not going to hire Eric Bieniemy. You know, it's, it's, it's easier for white people who have a past who have negative things in their past for other white people to just overlook that. It's easier for them to do that than for black people. You know why? Because also they have to take into consideration that the majority of their fans are people that storm the Capitol. So they, they take stuff like that into consideration. You know, when people say, well, yeah, you know, 70% of the players are black. Yeah, but 90% of the fans in the stands are probably MAGA. You know, if you take, if you go to the, a Houston, Texas, or the, the Dallas Cowboys game, right? And there's 100,000 people, 100,000 Cowboy fans. Well, you know, let's say, you know, let's hypothetically speaking, it's 100,000 Cowboy fans in the stadium. How many of those people you think voted for Trump? The answer is a lot. That's 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 the answer. So it's, it's not going to change until you get some black owners, some black GMs, some people that say, I want to hire some people that look like me. So the only way you're going to balance it out. We got 32 owners and zero of them are black. That's that's going to be a problem. You know, and it, like I said, it's very difficult to tell an owner that owns a billion dollar team, you know, who they can and can't hire. You see what's happening. You know, and it's, sometimes it's even not just the hiring. It's like, who gets multiple chances? Like, why did Adam Gates even get a second chance? Why is he even being interviewed for the Seahawks offensive coordinator position? Yeah, that's that's what we talk about. We say keep that same energy. It's like you, you but you got to keep the pressure on them. You got to keep talking about it. You got to keep putting. That's why black media is important. You know, we have to we have to fight for Eric B. Enemy because he can't fight for himself. You understand what I'm saying? So we got to keep that pressure on them until they do it, and then you know, hopefully they succeed. You know, but all you can ask for is an opportunity. And that's really the crux of the problem with life for black people in America. So we don't want an extra. Just want an opportunity. Be sure to check out the website, blacksportsonline.com. Register for my email list for all the new updates. Listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online. Instagram, BSOTV, and much appreciation to my podcast partners at ABF Creative for all their hard work in making this weekly podcast a success. I'm out.